0: My name is Nicole Pitches, and you are listening to the Reasonable Woman podcast, a legal podcast for all you law enthusiasts out there. This episode, as the title may suggest, will start off the EU law series, beginning with the Treaty of Paris. I was always taught to approach EU law with its historical and political context in mind. Just as any other political system, the passing of time means laws and regulations have to change as well. So, learning EU law remains just as important as ever, and I promise you, for all those aspiring European and international lawyers out there, even with Brexit looming, learning EU law will most certainly help you in your future careers. You can't just wipe out 40, 50 years of history, and as some of you may already know, all European Union law is integrated into the UK through Acts of Parliament, so it's going to take a good bit of time to untangle all of that. I will most definitely be doing an episode on brexit in the near future for all those who are interested it's all gone a bit mad in the uk so when the dust settles although who knows if it ever will i'll hopefully be able to do a more comprehensive walkthrough on brexit so starting with the history the origin of the european union begins in the 1950s as part of the rebuilding after the second world war one of the most urgent aims was to take the tools of war out of exclusive control of nation states. And while there existed other, broader ambitions, the starting point had to be more narrow and more economically focused in order for nation-states to agree on any kind of political integration. Deeper EU political integration was built on a heritage of intellectual thinking that goes back quite some way, but the 1950s is often considered the real starting point. There were six initial members of the EU. France, Belgium, the Netherlands, Luxembourg, Italy and West Germany or the Federal Republic of Germany at the time. And there were three initial main treaties, the ECSC 1951, Euratum, I think that's how you're meant to say it, 1957, and the EEC of 1957. So we are going to start off with the Treaty of Paris. The ECSC, which stands for European Coal and Steel Community, or the Treaty of Paris 1951, established to the European Coal and Steel Community, which later became part of the EU. It was in force for 50 years, starting from 1952 until it eventually expired on the 23rd of July 2002. Its aims were to organise the free movement of coal and steel and setting up a common high authority in order to supervise the market, monitor competition rule compliance and ensure price transparency. This was the first real proper step towards European integration. The treaty was divided into four titles first the european coal and steel community second the institutions of said community third the social and economic rules and then lastly fourth the general rules there were also two protocols on the court of justice and then on the relations between the ecsc and the council of europe and then also a convention on transitional rules and the implementation of the treaty as well as relations between member states and non-member states So there's quite a lot there, but I'm just going to focus this episode on what I think is the most important aspects of the Treaty, starting with Article 2. Article 2 laid out the Treaty aims, which was to contribute, in harmony with the general economy of the Member States and through the establishment of a common market, to the economic expansion, growth of employment and rising standard of living within the Member States. By creating a common market, which Article 4 addresses, The free movement of products was introduced, meaning there were no customs duties or taxes, and it also prohibited restrictive practices by states. Article 2 further stressed that while the community will strive to progressively bring about conditions which ensure the rational distribution of the production and the highest level of productivity, it was also to take care not to provoke fundamental and persistent disturbances in the economies of member states, which was vital to include after World War II. Article 7 of the Treaty of Paris established a High Authority, an Assembly, a Special Council of Ministers, and a Court of Justice. We'll go through these in just a second. Article 6 of the Treaty gave the ECSE legal personality. The High Authority was the predecessor of the European Commission, Article 8 stating that it was to ensure the objectives of the Treaty were attained, always acting in the community's general interest. Article 10 stated it should consist of nine members, not more than two members could be of the same nationality, however, appointed for six years, chosen on grounds of their general competence and whose independence is beyond doubt. It was a truly supranational body with the power of decision, supervising production improvement and modernisation, product supply under consistent conditions, a common export policy development and improving working conditions in coal and steel industries. The Assembly, The predecessor of the European Parliament consisted of 78 state representatives, 18 for Germany, 18 for France and 18 for Italy, 10 for Belgium, 10 for the Netherlands and four for Luxembourg. Article 20 gave the assembly supervisory authority. The Council, forerunner of the Council of the European Union that we have today, had six national government representatives. Article 27 stated that the presidency was to be held by each European steel and coal country in turn for three months, which was a lot easier to do back then with only six members. Its objective was to harmonise the high authority activities and the general governmental economic policies. Any important high authority decisions needed the council's approval, as stated by Article 26. Article 31 addresses the Court of Justice, the predecessor of the Court of Justice of the European Union, It had seven judges, each nominated for six years. These were chosen by common agreement between ECSE member state governments. Its purpose was to ensure that in the interpretation and application of the treaty and of the rules laid down for the implementation thereof, the law is observed. The Treaty of Paris has since been amended by many different treaties, such as the 1965 merger treaty, the 1992 Treaty on the European Union, and the Treaty of Nice in 2001. Now, just a quick recap, because I realise it can be quite dense going through a treaty like this, but it's just super important that you know the basics. The Treaty of Paris established the European Steel and Coal Community, later to become the part of the EU. It created a common market, in line with its aim of contributing to economic expansion, growth of employment, and raising the standard of living. Those three themes, the economic expansion, growth of employment, and raising the standard of living, is going to come up a lot in later EU treaties, so it's important to remember those three in particular. Now, just to quickly run through the institutions. So the treaty established the high authority, which was the predecessor of the European Commission, the Assembly, predecessor of the European Parliament, the Council, predecessor of the Council of the European Union, and the Court of Justice. So I'm going to be leaving you guys with just that for today. That should be around eight minutes worth of information. And next time, we'll be looking at Eurotum. I am just going to stick with that pronunciation for now. Thank you very much for listening, and until next time, bye!